Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. Amen. Today, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles out and go with me to Colossians, the fourth chapter. You know, I'm amazed as we go through the Word of God that as we go line upon line and precept upon precept, and even this past weekend when we took some time off and took some time out to talk about the vision that God has for this coming year and really for the coming decade that's ahead of us, I believe, that God is doing some new things and doing some great things, that as I look at the flow of the Word of God, that God has something that He is speaking to the church And today's message is going to come right in line. It's going to come right and just dovetail with the vision that God had for us last weekend. Also, as I was listening to Wednesday night's message with Dr. Baron Gilflin, it was just wonderful to hear how his message was almost like a part two. It was like, here's what God's going to do. And then Dr. Barron came along and said, and here's your part in it. Here's what we're to do, and here's how we're to do it. And I just thought, man, God, it's just amazing how you're speaking to the church because it's the same Holy Spirit through it all. And oftentimes in the Bible, you read about the river of God, that there is a flow that comes from the throne of God, and it goes out, and that that flow is that river that we are to dive into and get the understanding of God. It's the same river, but there's new waters coming through all the time, but it's a part of the same stream of thinking. Now, don't worry if you missed last weekend, you missed Wednesday night, today's message will speak to you today right where you're at. You're going to get something from the Word of God, but I want to encourage you, if you missed out on the vision last weekend, get a hold of that online. Make sure to listen to that and get right up with where we're at. And then go back and listen to Dr. Barron's message because you will be blessed and it will encourage you in the things of God. But for us today, I'm talking about a message called A Wise Walk and a Seasoned Talk. This is part number one of a short two-part series, A Wise Walk and a Seasoned Talk. Colossians chapter 4, we're continuing on into verse number 5 and 6. So if you're not already there, turn there with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verse number 5 and verse number 6. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 5, says this. It says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Verse number 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now let's go back to verse number 5, because it says to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Anytime you read in the Bible to walk, and it's not talking about a physical walk, it's saying something to us. You'll read in the Bible that it says to walk in love to walk in the spirit. And here it says to walk in wisdom. What is it talking about to walk in these things? Really what it's saying is to live out your life in a certain manner. That we are as Christians to live a life of love. That we're to live a life in the spirit of God. And here it says that we are to walk or live out our lives in wisdom towards a certain people. Who is that? Towards those who are outside. See, we all at one point in our lives before we had Jesus in our hearts, we were outsiders. We were not a part of the covenant of God. We were not a part of the body of Christ. We were on the outside looking in. And yet, when you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you become an insider. You're no longer a lowlifer. No, now you're a highlifer. You're no longer an outcast. No, you're a part of the family of God. And therefore, it says, because of your position, that you are to walk with wisdom. Wisdom is the skill for life on how to do things. So there is a way that we see from the word of God that we are to live out our lives. There is a wisdom, there is a skill that we as believers are to have towards those who are outside, towards the unbelievers and the non-Christians. What is that? He says, redeeming the time. To redeem the time. And then he goes on in verse number six and he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We need to make every second count, in other words. You know, a lot can happen in one second. Think about it for a second. A lot can happen just in one little moment, can't it? 
let me put it to you like this. In, in one second, a hummingbird's wings can flap 200 times. That's astounding, isn't it? 200 times. You ever been sitting, I, I, I like to sit on my front porch and just watch as the cars go by and people walk by and that sort of a thing. But every now and then, I've got these flowers and I'll hear this just coming up. Sounds like a helicopter, like a little mini drone or something like that. And it's these little hummingbirds going by every second, 200 times a second, their wings are flapping. That's why they eat so much sugars because they're burning it all like crazy. Every second, though, something else happens. Light travels 186,282 miles. Wow, I mean, I can't even comprehend those numbers. Every second, 300,000 gallons of water flow over Victoria Falls in Africa. That's a whole lot of water every second flowing over those falls. Every second, 2.4 billion emails are sent. My goodness, that's a whole lot of spam, isn't it? We need to unsubscribe to that stuff. What about this? Every second, there are 6,000 tweets, a whole lot of opinions getting launched out into the internet every second. Every second, 40,509 likes happen on Instagram, and on Facebook, the users post 4,050 photos. That's a whole lot of lunch getting put out there into the internet. But you know what else happens every second? Is that on average, two people die. We have a rescue mission from heaven because most of the people that are going to die on this planet are not going to end up going to heaven. They're going to end up dying and going to hell. And therefore, God says, I want you to walk with wisdom towards those that are outside because every second matters. Every second, people are dying and going to hell. And every second, we need to be wise enough to realize the time that we're in and the place that God has given us. Because maybe you didn't notice this, but when you gave your heart and life to Jesus, it wasn't like Scotty just beamed you up and now all of a sudden you're up in heaven and you disappeared from the earth. God left you here. Why did he leave you here? Because there's still a purpose for your life. There's still a passion of God on the earth. He's not going to let an angel preach the gospel. He's not going to tear open the heavens and speak to the people himself. No, he has chosen to use his church, the body of Jesus Christ, to do his works here on the earth. And he has entrusted the gospel message to you and to me. And therefore, we need to redeem the time. We need to make sure that we use up every second. So, A wise walk, what does it look like? For us today, a couple of things that I want to point out that a wise walk looks like. First thing is this, a wise walk, number one, redeems the time. Just like we read in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5, that we are to walk in wisdom towards those that are outside, redeeming the time. Now, that word redeeming the time, it it, it literally means in, in the original language to buy up the time. Now, we have a phrase in our modern-day society, right? I'm just buying time. What does that mean? It means you're kind of wasting time. You're kind of just hanging out, waiting for something to happen. Oh, I'm just buying time until, you know, the money comes. I'm buying time until something happens. I'm buying time. But this in the Bible is not talking about wasting time or sitting back passively and not letting anything happen, right? Really what it's talking about is taking a purchase because it is so valuable and recognizing and realizing that we only have a short time here on the earth and therefore we're going to buy up as much time. We're going to use up as much as we can with the wisdom that God gives. The strong Concordance put it even more uh, insightfully and it said this, to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. So that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. See, if we let time go by unredeemed, it will float through missing opportunities that the Lord has placed right in front of us. God wants us 
to buy up the time. He wants us to be wise with the time that we have and to use it to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus. Can anybody say amen? Matthew chapter 10, turn there with me. Last week we were together in Matthew chapter number nine and we talked about how Jesus asked us to pray to send laborers into the harvest fields. And then in Matthew chapter number 10, he starts to send the disciples out and he gives them instructions as he sends them out in answer to their own prayers. Matthew chapter number 10, we're gonna take a look at verse number 16. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 16. Jesus is speaking and he says these words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. There couldn't be a more stark contrast in my thinking than sheep and wolves. Sheep stay close to the shepherd. Sheep, they don't have any defensive or offensive part on their body. You ever heard of an attack sheep? I haven't either. And the reason why is because sheep are very mild-mannered. Sheep are not very smart. They kind of just hang out, they eat, and they kind of stay close to the shepherd. Their defense is that shepherd that's with them. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out from myself. I'm sending you away from me, the shepherd, and you're going to go out in the midst of wolves. Now, wolves, they're very offensive. They can run fast. They've got sharp canine teeth, right? And they will often prey on the sheep. Because of this, Jesus goes on to say, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, in the Bible, where do you see the serpent? Genesis, right? What, what, what is the serpent in Genesis? Satan, right? The devil. You see him again in the book of Revelation, right? That serpent of old, the devil who deceives the nations. He says, I want you to be wise as the devil. That's quite a statement, isn't it? See, because there is a worldly wisdom that's out there. The people on the earth, the Bible says, are swayed under the sway of the wicked one. That there is a wisdom of this world that we as Christians should not be naive, that we should not be foolish, but we should be as wise as serpents. But then he goes on to say, but it's harmless as doves. Where, where do you see the dove in the Bible? Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a dove. He says, I want you to be wise as the devil, but I want you to be harmless or as innocent as the Holy Spirit. In other words, we do not need to be foolish when it comes to the things of this world, but we do need to be innocent of the evils in the world. We need to keep our hearts right. We need to keep our walk clean. Now, we, even though we may understand the systems and the things of this world, that we are not walking in a way that is the wisdom of man or the wisdom of the devil. No, we should be wise as the serpent, but we should be harmless as does living our lives out before God in the power of the Holy Spirit. This means that we're not foolish when it comes to business or law or culture, but we are, however, to be harmless. Some translations say innocent. Our walk should be blameless because we are walking in the will and the way of the Lord. That wisdom is that our work, our witness, and our walk should be lived in light of our present community and culture. See, God tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. And therefore, we need to pay our taxes. We need to make sure to take care of our homes. We need to make sure that our families are in order. We need to do good work when we're on the job. We need to be friendly to other people. Why? Because that is a wisdom that if we will live a life out in front of people, it will be attractive to them. And they will see something in our walk that they'll say, hey, I want that. Hey, there's something different about you. What's going on in your life? In fact, when you read the book of Acts, you'll learn that the church had a reputation amongst the people that everyone respected them, even though there were people that wouldn't dare join them. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jews, but they still had a respect for the people that were 
in the church. And I believe it should be the same way today that people shouldn't be looking down on church people because they do bad work, because they're slackers, because they're whiners and complainers. No, they should have a respect. You know what? That guy's a Christian. Even though I may never go to church, I really respect that guy for their faith. I respect their beliefs. I respect that they won't back down, that they're a person of principle, that they're not talking out of two sides of their mouth. That's the wisdom that God has for us. We need to buy up the time and redeem the time because time is short. You know, I just was remembering a time where my wife and I traveled to Miami. We were preaching for a friend, has a great church there in Miami in Doral. And uh, we, we had some other friends that were pastors in another place. We had a night off, and so we called them up. We said, hey, would you guys like to do dinner or something like that? And they said, we would love to show you what God's doing at our church. Can you make it up here? And we said, well, yeah, we can get an Uber. They said, if you do that, we'll drive you home tonight. We said, perfect, that'll work. So it was our first time really using Uber. We were kind of new to this thing. And so my wife didn't realize that there are different levels of the Uber. You know, there's like the base level where they come and they pick you up in like a tuk-tuk or a little bicycle or something like that. You know, that's like the, the $5 ride. And then, they, then you get like the Ford Festiva and then you work your way up to like a Chevrolet. And then eventually you get into the, the luxury cars and that sort of thing. So she just clicked the one at the top. The XL, you know what I mean? Like the luxury one. So this nice, big, like, black GMC, all the bells and whistles, pulls up and, and opens the door to us. And we're like, wow, this is really nice. You know what I mean? Leather, captain's chairs in the middle row and that sort of a thing. And so we had an hour drive ahead of us to go to the northern part of Miami. Now, you don't get in a car with us for an hour and not hear about Jesus. It's just, it's going to happen, all right? You got two pastors sitting in there, but even before we were pastors, this just seeps out of our pores. Jesus is on the inside, and you got an hour drive with that, you're going to hear about Jesus while we're rolling, all right? And, and so we're driving, and, and, and we were started striking up conversation with the, the young gentleman who was driving us, and we said, hey, you know, how long have you been doing this? Do you enjoy this? Is this supplemental to another job? What are you doing? Where do you come from? We found out he's from Venezuela, very concerned about his family because Venezuela was just in turmoil, that there was uh, protests going on, people weren't getting food and the necessary, necessary resources for life, and so he wanted to get his family to come over to the United States, and so we talked to him a lot about that, and then we asked about how he got here and he told us about how his girlfriend came over and he came over and, you know, they were living together and that sort of a thing. And we said, oh, okay, all right, yeah, okay, cool, you know. And so we moved on with the conversation. We're talking about his life. And, and then, you know, after a while, he said, so what do you guys do? What are you guys doing here in Miami? Right? Open door right there. We're wise enough to know, hey, this is our time. Well, we're pastors. We're preaching at a great church in Doral. You know what? You should come. It would be wonderful to see you there. Man, uh, do you go to church? And all of a sudden, we found out that he was raised in a very religious background, that God was just something in his life, that, that it was just a religious experience. And he says, I really need to get back into church. In fact, my girlfriend's been talking to me about going to church. We said, your girlfriend is right. You need to listen to her. Sunday morning when she says, get up, let's go. You need to get up and go. And uh, we found out where he was at, and we said, well, hey, that's right near Doral. You should go to this church, you know. Even if we're not there, you should be going there. That's a great church. You should be a part of it. And we started to talk to him about his life, and we started to ask him, what are you, what are you doing with your eternity? You know, we, we see what you're doing here in the natural and what you're doing here in the now and how you need to get to church. But what if today was your last day on the earth? Where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Have you heard this before somewhere? Well, I think I'd go to heaven because I've been a religious person. I've gone to church. I was raised in church. My parents told me you're a Christian growing up. You can't just go to church and call yourself a Christian that makes you a Christian. It's not about your parents raising you up in church. It's not about your location, your family association. See, have you heard this somewhere before? <laughs> Guys, it works with a 1,000 people or one person. 
That's why we do the altar call so much is so that not only do we reap a harvest here of souls, but guess what else? You're learning the altar call. You know how to do it. You are equipped to bring someone to Jesus. And so we, in this Uber ride, started to witness to him and tell him about the things that God had done in our life and how he could have that same thing in his life. By the end of the Uber ride, we asked him, hey, would you like to pray and invite Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? And he said, yes, I would. And so when we parked at the place where we were meeting our friends, right there in the car, we bowed our heads, we prayed, and we led him in a prayer to invite Jesus in your heart, and he was born again. When we got out of the car to say goodbye, he got out to him with tears in his eyes. He gave us a hug, and he said, this was the best Uber ride of my entire life. We said, we agree it was our best one, too. And then we saw the bill, and we said, whoa, it really was his best ride. Man. And then my wife tipped him really good, too, because, you know, you can't witness to somebody and not tip great, especially if you're a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want them thinking pastors are cheap, so give them a good tip, right? I think she tipped him as much as the ride was. I'm like, honey, that's a 100% tip. She said, he's worth it. He just gave his heart to the Lord. We need to be wise and redeem the time that God has given us. Second thing for us today is this. Second thing is that uh, not only does the walk of wisdom redeem the time, but secondly is this, is that the walk of wisdom does this. It repairs the breach. It repairs the breach. There are many people who will not come to church, who will not accept the things of God simply because they're offended. They're hurt. They've been pushed away by people who call themselves Christians. They've been harmed by their parents who raised them in church. They've been harmed by a pastor or a Christian leader in church. And because of that, they are opposed to the things of God. Or people have gone out that have represented Jesus and represented the church, and they didn't agree with them. And because of that, there is a breach between them and God. The Bible says there's enmity. There is a war that's going on between unredeemed humanity and between God. And we are, as Christians, to have a wise walk. What does that mean? That means that we go in and we repair the breach. That we become the bridge builders that get people from where they're at back to a living relationship with a living God. That we need to be wise enough to realize that people are hurt. Not everybody's going to receive the message just like that. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be things to overcome in life. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be wise enough to know how to repair the breach. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, turn there with me, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, he's actually writing about eating meat from the marketplace. The Corinthian church had, had some issues, and you know, there were some religious people that were saying, well, some of that meat might be sacrificed to an idol, and if I eat the meat in the marketplace, am I eating meat that's, that's now honoring an idol? Am I honoring an idol with my life? That's an important question, isn't it? And so they were asking him about that, and the Apostle Paul says, listen, guys, we have freedom in Christ. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If you eat the meat and you eat it with thanksgiving unto God, you're not eating it unto an idol. You're eating it unto God. And yet, if somebody sees you eat meat, and they've got a religious spirit, they've got a problem with that, and it causes them to stumble, he says, I would rather not eat meat ever again. It was important for him not to be a cause of stumble to anybody. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I'm going to start reading in verse number 32 and read down through chapter 11, verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 32. He says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Notice what he said. Give no offense. Do you know that Jesus said offenses will come? But you shouldn't be the cause of the offense. Are you listening? We shouldn't be so obstinate 
or so arrogant with our Christianity that it pushes people away. We are not here to condemn the world to death. They are already condemned in sin, but we are here to love people to life. I should have had a bigger amen than that. We as the church are here to love people to life, not to condemn them to death. Notice when that Uber driver told me he's living with his girlfriend, I didn't just break out a Bible and start browbeating. What are you doing living with her? Don't you know you're going to hell if you do that? No, I just said, hmm, okay. Living with your girlfriend? All right. Let's move on with the story. Because it's not my job to correct his behavior. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and to lead him. And guess what, man? While we're waiting on the change, I'm going to love you. That's why there are people in our church that are living in sin. Don't look at your neighbor right now. Come on. And yet they're still welcome here, and we love them while the Holy Spirit works on them. That's why when you mess up on Saturday night, don't stay away from church. You need to be in church. You need not be running from God, but run to God. God's there to love you, to pick you up, to clean you off. If you'll stay in with him, God will bring it about. But let's not as the church be the ones pushing people away. Look at what he says, verse 33. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Notice he says, I, I also please all men in all things. But wait a second, Pastor. I thought we weren't supposed to be man-pleasers. No, we're not supposed to be man-pleasers. We're supposed to be God-pleasers, right? And we're never to compromise on our beliefs. But we are not to be offensive with the gospel. You know you can tell people that they're going to hell one of two different ways? You can either tell them, hey, you're an idiot and you're going to hell if you keep that up. That's offensive, Right? But the gospel message in itself is an offense to the flesh. The Bible says it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to many. Therefore, we don't need to add our foolishness to that. No, we need to put the love of God on that, that, hey, if you continue in this behavior, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're on a path that leads to destruction. You will die and you will go to hell because there's only one of two places we're going to end up. And I love you enough to tell you the truth, that you will not make it to heaven with this behavior if you keep it up. But you don't have to stay on that path that you can go to heaven as you follow the will and the way of the Lord. It's a wise walk that we seek to please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit. Guys, it's not about your personal bias. It's not about whether you like the person or not like the person. It's not about your personal preference, whether they're a Democrat, a Republican, whether they like your style of music, whether they dress like you, they look like you, they act like you, whether they have your social or economic background. None of that stuff matters. They might be somebody that is offensive to your flesh, but that doesn't mean that you offend them. No, you seek to please them. Why? Not seeking your own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That's what this is about. We are on a rescue mission one yard from hell, plucking people out of the fire. That's what God has called us to do. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be nice. In fact, most of the time it's going to be messy and ugly, and you're not going to like the things that the people are involved in. And yet, if you will allow the wisdom of God to come upon you, then God will use you in a great and mighty way to reach people who need him desperately. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. What is the Apostle Paul saying? See, Jesus was a bridge, wasn't he? He came and he represented God to man and man to God. And he was the living bridge. Jesus said, I am the ladder. You will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
In the same way, we are a bridge builder. We are the body of Christ now. We are to come and to represent Jesus. We are ambassadors of Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation entrusted to us. God's not given that ministry to anyone else, not to an angel, not to himself. No, he's entrusted it to us, and therefore, we are the ones now repairing the breach. We're going to stand in the gap and allow people to get from us over to God, but we're not to offend people and push them away. Remember there was a time that uh, we went to Bible college. In fact, there were five of us that went all at the same time. Pastor Luke, Pastor Jess, myself, Pastor Joe, who you heard singing up here so beautifully today. And one other uh, young man from our church went out to Bible college all at the same time. While we were there, we lived uh, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, quite different than Southern California, all right? And so um, we were there and, and we worked at one of the big box stores. Don't you just love the big box stores? I love shopping in stores with concrete floors. It's just like so much fun for me. My wife hates it, she does the online thing, but I, I love going out and beating the pavement, right? Inside the building, it's wonderful. And, and you know, you never need that much ketchup, but you just gotta buy it, don't you? It's so wonderful, just give me the pallet of ketchup right now. So I worked as a cashier, I worked on the floor, that sort of a thing, and as we started to get that job, all of us got a job at the same place because I went there, got a job, and they said, hey, do you know anybody else needs a job? I was like, yeah, I know a whole bunch of people that need a job, so they said, bring them on. So we all went and we got a job there. As we started to relate to people and talk to them, and they'd say, hey, why are you here in Tulsa? We would tell them we're going to a certain Bible college. And they'd say, ooh, oh, you go there? Mm, all right, I see how it is. And we were like, what have they done? You know what I mean? Like there was a breach. The people were offended by former Bible college students that had gone there and browbeat them with the Bible and the scriptures. And so we looked at each other and we said, hey, we've got a mission while we're here. We got a whole lot of hard work ahead of us, not just out there on the floor at the cash register. We've got hard work bringing the gospel to this place. So we made it our aim. We made it our goal. We were going to show up early. We were going to stay late. Man, when it was a snow day, I remember my wife and I walked in, and you would have thought we were the champions of the world at that moment because the Californians made it to the workplace on a snow day. We're like, woo, the Californians have shown up. Where's all the Oklahomans? Come on, where are you at? I don't see you. We made it. What's up, you know? Walking in like, man, we own this place, you know? Nobody else was in the store. They're like, you guys should have stayed home. You're stupid, you know? But we were just going to be a witness. And so we worked hard. We worked with integrity. We made sure that we were going to be the best possible witness we could be. One guy, remember a great guy that I worked with out there on the floor, I kept telling him, I said, man, you would be the best Christian. And he would just laugh. He'd say, why do you say that? I said, because I just love your personality, man. You're so much fun. You're a great person. People want to be around you. And you know what? People who have Jesus, that's a quality that they have. You would be the best Christian. People would be attracted to you. Now, all on his own, I didn't invite him. I didn't tell him. I, didn't, I just loved on him. And all on his own, he decided one week that he was going to go to church, and he found a church near him, and he went to that church, and he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. We were so happy. He came back and told us, hey, guess what I did? We we're like, what did you do? He's like, I prayed to invite Jesus in my heart. We we're like, woo, yeah. It was awesome. But like I said, not everybody is going to receive the message. And so we had a boss who was a homosexual. And uh, he was flamboyant, if I can say it to you like that, okay? And uh, he, he was really, you know, um, he, he really liked some of us. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, bro, I ain't about that. Like, take that somewhere else. I'm married. And he's like, well, she don't have to know. You know, and it's just... terrible but we just committed to do good work for him committed to love on him found out that he had 
been in a youth group, something happened to him. I don't know what happened to him, but he was hurt. He was pushed away from God. At one point, he wanted to be a youth pastor. And now here he is living a homosexual life. And on the night before we left, we gathered at uh, the, the guy's house. They had a duplex, and in the backyard, they had a big trampoline. We all sat around on that trampoline. We're talking about our two years there and what God had done and those sorts of things. And our homosexual boss showed up that night to say goodbye to us. And as we sat there on that trampoline, he looked around at us, and he said, no one has impacted my life as much as you guys have in these past years that you've been here at Bible College. Thank you guys for being Christians and loving me. Now, he didn't give his heart and life to the Lord, but what a testimony. What a repair of the breach. See, he was no longer opposed to the things of God. Now, he was ready and he was open. And I pray that he gives his heart and his life to Jesus someday. <laughs> Last thing is this. Not only does a wise walk redeem the time, it repairs the breach. But final thing for us today is this, is that a wise walk will reach people where they're at. Jesus told us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, did he not? That was our commission from Jesus Christ, that we are to reach people where they're at. Now, not only does that mean geography, that we are to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. I believe in world missions. I believe that people need to go. There are still nations that have not heard the gospel in their own language, and we need to do something about that. And yet God is also asking us if we will reach people where they're at, if we will go to the highways and to the hedges, if we will find the downtrodden and the outcast, if we will go to the poor and the rich, if we will go to the wealthy and the hungry, that if we will go to the hip-hop and the country, that if we will go to the educated and the uneducated, if we will find people where they're at and minister to them right there, I believe that God has a wisdom that we can win souls right where they're at. God wants us to go into all the world. There's a diverse group of people here in the Inland Empire that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And I can't reach them all. I can't get them all to come to church. I wish I could, but I can't do this by myself. I can only do what I can do. But you have influence. You are in places. God has placed you in the time that you're in, in the place that you're in, the space that you're in, because God knew what he was going to do with your life. You're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And I want to take a look at verse number 19 through verse number 23. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 19. Look at what he says. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some. Notice not all is going to be one. Not everybody's going to receive the message of Jesus Christ. There will be people that reject the message, but we need to serve all men and give them the life-changing, life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It goes on in the next verse, verse 20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without Law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. God says use everything in your tool belt to reach people for Jesus Christ. Whatever God has placed in your hand, whatever God has placed in your heart, the personality that God gave you, everything that you have. Verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might 
be a partaker of it with you. What is he saying? He's saying everything that God had placed in his life up until that point was a tool to be used in the hands of the master to reach people for Jesus. Some of you guys wonder, God, why did you place me in a mixed home? Why is my daddy black and my mama white? Why, why do I like hip hop, but I also like rock? You know, why, why, why am I this way, God? Why was I born on the wrong side of the tracks and yet want to be educated? Because God has placed you there because you are the Swiss army knife for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are no accident in the eyes of God. God knew that you would be able to reach the black people and the white people and the rock and rollers and the hip hoppers. God was saying, I've got you right where I need you. Will you use it to reach someone for Jesus Christ? We wonder, we wonder why does this little old white person get placed in San Bernardino? Because God wanted you to become somebody to reach out to the people of San Bernardino. Come on. Karen, why would God take somebody who is homeless with five kids in an RV waiting to save up money? Why would he use you to come and become the next county supervisor after somebody who was born on an Indian reservation who didn't have anything, who was impoverished and yet came up? Why is God placing you? Because God wanted to use you to reach people for Jesus here on the earth. That's what this is all about, you guys. If God can take a punk rock kid from Moreno Valley who didn't know what color he really was hanging out with all his friends, right? And my son and my miho, you know? When I talk to people, some people I say hello, some people I say what's up, some people I say como esta, and some people I say konnichiwa. Why? Because I become all things to all men that I might win some. Somebody needs to hear the message of Jesus. Somebody needs you to go and reach them where they're at. What do we learn today? A wise walk will do three things. A wise walk, number one, will redeem the time. Number two, a wise walk will repair the breach. And number three, a wise walk will reach people where they're at. Come on, if you got something from the word of the Lord today, give God a great big praise. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.